Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a different interview and I'm excited for this one, but I, I, before I get too much into describing what it is, let me just get the disclaimers out of the way as always, right? Standard disclaimers do apply, not financial advice, not financial advisors. Please check YouTube notes for full disclaimers. Also note, there will be written work accompanying this interview as always, so just make sure to check out my Substack for uh, companion article, written summary, and, and transcripts as well. I'll have that posted up here in the next couple of days. But uh, the, the true reason we're here is, is uh, Ian Fraser, CEO of Fathom Nickel, is joining me again. And there's going to be a bit of a different tone and tenor to this one. It's going to be a, a geology-centric episode. Obviously, geology is, is critical to every exploration story. But the knowledge that Ian and Fathom have accumulated and the confidence in their model, uh, I think, makes it especially important for people to understand this geological story. And so I, I thought this would be a great opportunity to have Ian on and Ian is gracious enough to come on and, and almost sort of you know, lecture style talk us through everything from very introductory sort of depositional modeling down to, you know, the, the more meet, the more intricate sort of detailed uh, expertise that, that he has developed on the Gochager and Albert Lake uh, projects that, they, that Fathom Nickel now has in their, in their possession. So yeah, Ian, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. How are you today? Uh, doing great, Matthew. Uh, yeah, no, thank you uh, again for the opportunity. Um, looking forward to this, and um, hopefully the listeners uh, have a little better understanding of, of both projects. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a good a good opportunity to to try to help build up just that that understanding of what the heck's going on up in northern Saskatchewan there. So yeah, we may as well just you know start nice and simple. Uh, you know, just the. I've, I was reading your technical reports the last few days, and you and I have a good couple of conversations around, you know, the, the your own growth of understanding over the past few years. But do you just want to look, just discuss through, yeah, the, the depositional model that you're working through, right? I mean, and I'll be a little quippy here, and you'll forgive me, but you know, it's a sort of a pods and pathways sort of model. And do you just want to just run through what it is that is going on under the ground there that you're exploring and pursuing? Yeah, no, very good question. Um, and, you know, I, it, 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 it's important to understand that, you know, these, these magmas, you, you've heard us talk about magmatic nickel sulfide deposits. Well, I mean, magmatic comes from magma. So you have deeply buried magmas, and these magmas are mafic, and ultramafic in composition. And, and that meaning, you know, mafic has less iron than ultramafic has something that's more iron. And, and these, these magmas, these particular magmas, they're already inherently, uh, they have the, what we call the calcophile elements. They, they already contain nickel, copper, cobalt, platinum group elements, gold, silver. I mean, it's all part of this magma. But to get the magma out into a magmatic nickel sulfide deposit, these magmas, when they are traveling through the crust, they need to come in contact with sulfur. And when sulfur gets digested into the magma, that's when things start to happen. The, the, the sulfur will attach itself to these metal ions that are already in this magma, and then depending on conditions, you know, it, it's sort of the, the Pac-Man mentality. They'll, the sulfurs are starving for, let's just use nickel uh, as an example. And then sulfur attaches itself to nickel and you're spinning around in the, uh, in the magma. And then this magma gets stuck in what we call a, a structural trap. And then the sulfur discontinues to digest. And as things get heavy, they start selling out. You know, gravity takes over, and and then these these uh, uh, Pac-Man's, if you will, these uh, you know sulfur nickel bodies will just start uh, floating down to the bottom of this trap because because uh, they're getting heavy. And uh, you know, so very very simply put, that is the story of uh, a magmatic nickel sulfide deposit. Of course, there's an awful lot of chemistry and a whole bunch of other things that go into it, but uh, that that is essentially how these things form, and we're, we're recognizing this at uh, at Gochagar Lake, uh, and we're recognizing this at uh, Albert Lake, and and they're two in the same in that they're magmatic, but they're of slightly different character. 
And so my natural follow-up just to, to keep going on this is, is that you have, yeah, the, these, these pathways that lead to traps. And I suppose, do you mind just going into a bit more depth about what, what makes, what makes a pathway a pathway and what makes a trap a trap? What are the characteristics that make them conducive to both those things? Okay. Well, look, um, yeah. So in, in this, this first image, um, and again, I'm, I'm borrowing the expertise of uh, Dr. Peter Lightfoot, who's been gracious enough to take an interest in, in both our projects. Um, so, you know, I talked about this uh, magma needing to get up through the crust. So what you, what you need is a, you need a conduit. You need, uh, you know, again, just to put things in a, in a very simple perspective, just envision a great big crack in the Earth's crust. And that allows for these magmas to find their way up and then, you know, through the 1.8 billion years, there's all sorts of deformation going on. And so there's things moving around, uh, you know, faults will activate, reactivate. And then this allows the opportunity for these magmas to come in, fill in the voids. And, and then, you know, as, as they migrate around, certain areas for these things to settle out are, are more conducive than, than other areas. But, you know, I think the the important thing is, and, and this, this bottom image here, uh, you know, the line of section, if you can just imagine that being a, a crack in the Earth's crust, and as things get displaced, there's movement that can be up, down, it can be left, right, uh, you get these dilatant zones, and these are all perfect uh, conduits for these magmas to come in and, and settle out in. And so, yeah, thank you. And so, again, this 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 extension question. This is something we covered in our previous interview, but to to help this be its own kind of encapsulated you know, one-off interview, you have there what you have is a standing theory around the original rotten stone mine. We're talking about your Albert Lake project here in particular. That that the the particular particular characteristics of it being such a high-grade mine to you. It was this this kind of uh, clue that there was a heck of a lot more going on underground that maybe historical exploration understood. And do you just want to describe or explain, kind of from the geological perspective, what your thesis is about what produced that mine? Um, yeah, yeah, very very simply put, um, more magma means more metal, and the fact that rotten stone is, you know. By by far the you know historically, uh, rotten stone is probably one of the if not the highest grade nickel mine uh, in 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 Canadian history. I mean that that's not far off. You know I, I I've got to be careful there, but um, uh, you know it was only twenty six thousand tons extracted, but twenty six thousand tons of you know, I can show you, I've got, I've got samples that run 4% nickel and they run 10 to 12 grams of platinum group elements. And this, this is all inclusive, platinum, palladium, rhodium, osmium, ruthenium, iridium, 10 and a half to 12 grams of, of the full suite of platinum group elements. This just does not happen in very many places in the world. You know, if, if we draw a comparison, you know, Raglan's running around five to seven grams PGs, I think. Uh, Nerilsk might be a little bit higher grade than that. Uh, some of these offset dikes in the Sudbury Basin, you know, th these are producing spectacular uh, uh, platinum group element grades. But collectively, um, there aren't too many rotten stones around. And, and this, this is really what... Uh, fascinated me right at the very beginning of this uh, uh this venture shall we say um so you know rotten stone so if you can imagine this this outcrop that was uh you know it was this historic outcrop just packed full of metal of uh you know three to four percent nickel and nine to twelve grams of platinum group elements you know where, where does this come from uh, and again you know more magma means more metal and and so Rotten stone is the tip of the iceberg. It, it is the first clue that there is something very, very significant lurking in and around historic rotten stone. Um, but why, why, you know, why didn't anybody 
go at this with that outlook prior to, uh, uh, well, let's just say my involvement in this project, which goes back to 1999. And, and I think the, you know, the, the simple answer to that is, you know, the, the, the big companies, they're, they're looking for absolute monsters. And they, they you know, if, if your geophysics is only looking you know, let, let's be honest here. You know, airborne geophysics—you know—you're looking zero to two hundred meters into the Earth's surface, and if they don't see that great big fingerprint of something that might be lurking subsurface that's the size of you know three football fields, well, they 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 walk away. Um, and and I think where you know we're, we've sort of separated ourselves from that is uh, you know maybe call it an obsession. I mean, I I my wife thinks I'm obsessed with this but and I probably am but you know where where does this grade come from why why can you only why why is there only 50 to 60,000 tons is what the original historic deposit was deemed to be why is there only 50 60,000 tons of this it's got to be coming from something significantly larger because again just very very simply more metal equals more magma so there's got to be a significant magmatic system there and, and um we, we've proven that. And, and I'll, I'll stop there, Matthew, because you might have a, another question before I take the next 20 minutes talking about <laughs> <laughs> what we've accomplished at Albert Lake. So maybe you set me up with another question. Well, <laughs> well no, I think you're, 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 you're saying exactly what I was hoping to have you talk about, right? That, that you know, you, your thesis is, is that the, the, the pure existence of that high of grade means there has to be a heck of a lot going on below, you know, beneath surface, subsurface, than it is a, that historically people thought or understood. Um, but maybe this idea of there being separate lenses, you know, I use the language pods or lenses, right? Uh, I mean, I guess the question is that ultimately, what are you, what are you chasing? Are you chasing a large number of pods? Is there potentially, you know, is, is there a chance of identifying, you know, the, 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 the huge source of it all or, or where are you going with your exploration? Uh, exactly that and and this uh, you know i've got a few models up here and and it might be you know difficult for uh the viewers to see in any great detail but on the, on the right hand side dr larry halbert created this uh image and again you know just going back to the introduction here so these magmas coming up this conduit so you know this is a a conduit here and then you know this magma found a place to settle and then there was let's just call it a burp and the burp called what originally it was called the hall showing which has since been renamed to the uh, uh the rottenstone deposit or rottenstone showing and so this is what he's depicting here so this is you know this again another uh tectonic event in the crust uh which created another avenue pathway uh, for these magmas to migrate yet again. And we know now that there was an absolutely perfect structural trap at the Rottenstone deposit, and that's why we had this deposit settle out there. And, you know, the conditions between the, the sulfur it digested on its way to this structural trap were just perfect because if, you know, so sometimes these magmas can get oversaturated with sulfur and what happens then is there's you know the, the the competition um you know you've got more sulfur than you have nickel in the magma and then of course all the sulfurs are fighting for the nickel and you just don't get this efficiency of uh of um uh, metal segregation so uh you know the conditions at rottenstone were were superb and and that's why we had such fantastic grade and very good metal tenor. I'll, I'll leave that topic alone because I know that's something you and I were talking about last night and it, it, it could come up here a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer, you know, what, what are we looking for? Well, you know, this, this again, this image by, uh, by Larry Halbert is, is sort of a perfect example because we know to the south of Rottenstone, 2,000 meters to the south, there's a historic showing that comes to surface called the Trombley Olson. And it is in this area that we were, you know, we only, we, we couldn't do any exploration because of assessment situations. It was in the hands of the previous owner until the summer of 2022. It became available, this 360 hectares that covers the Trombley Olson showing. We went in there and did our soil geochemistry 
And, and, you know, this is where we're getting 750 PPM or 743 PPM nickel in soils. And we're getting, you know, over a gram of combined platinum, palladium, gold in some of our soil samples. And so this is in the area of the Trombley Olson. So there's, you know, if you have all this metal in the soils, there's something in that area that has, you know, since 1.8 billion years, it's been kind of rotting away and through fluids and, you know, water and all kinds of wonderful things, all this, you know, signature gets, migrates up into the soils. And so the soils is telling us there's something subsurface. Now, is that the master magma chamber, what uh, Dr. Larry Hulbert used to call it, mother rotten stone? <laughs> we used to use that term a lot. And then I was told to stop using that. But anyway, it's kind of a fun term. Where is, where is mother rotten stone? Um, so our exploration at Albert Lake is, yes, this is where we want to be because this is going to be big and it is going to be a very good grade because it produced the rotten stone deposit. But as we seek out Mother Rottenstone, we're, we're going to find more of isolated pods of mineralization, the, the Bay Island trend. That's our discovery that we made in 2021 and followed up in 2022. That's another example of this is part of a big system. And as we seek out the, the master magma chamber, uh, we, we will find more of these isolated deposits, the grades of which were, is, that's just something we can't predict because, again, it gets back to that sulfur contamination argument. But, yeah, no, I ultimately um, uh, find find the big one, find find the source of all of this. Yeah, Mother Rottenstone, I like that. I'll, I'll, we'll return to her in a moment here. But let's just discuss mineralization types because, yeah, you, you kind of put me on a there, – uh, great learning curve last night too, as you mentioned. But I mean, there, there is a wide variety of mineralizations that are available or, or present here, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just reading words from, from the technical reports and from our conversations, but, you know, disseminated, net textured, semi-massive, massive, massive uh, sulfide veins. And then also, you know, you have what you kind of, almost a special rotten soil mineralization. Do you just want to, do you want to just briefly discuss maybe not so much going into the geo, the geologics of, of, of each individual type, but maybe just the relationship between them, right? That when you, when you see semi-massives, what is that telling you about where you are in the location to, you know, to the massives, that sort of thing. Can you just maybe paint us some context or frame this conversation around how all of these different types of mineralizations relate to each other? And then if I may just end, end with a nice little conversation, because I was getting excited when you were talking about the rotten stone mineralization, maybe we'll, we'll ask you to end there at the end of it. So. Okay, well, on, on this particular image on the left-hand side, and, and here I'm drawing from uh, uh, Steve Barnes, and you know, all these various uh, uh, cartoons of how these things uh, do their business. Um, and if you note, I've got this um, blue circle over here in this part of this cartoon. So again, you know, coming up from the crust, all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, continue migration of magma, and then over here he's highlighting ultramafic magmas, and you can see that <clears throat> depicted in red here, these are what he's calling where the massive sulfides will uh, will settle out. And so if we, you know, just just using that um, bit of imagery, and then if we jump forward to um, yeah, this this slide here again. This this cartoon in the middle. This is something, uh, you know, Peter Lightfoot and Steve Barnes. So this is magmatic nickel uh, sulfide textures 101. So again, if if you can imagine, <clears throat> you know, I talked about the structural trap, and and I and I think if you think of a structural trap as the, uh, you know, let, let's just go small to big. So you've got your your plastic backyard swimming pool and let's imagine you've got magma coming in from your neighbor's side of the lawn and it's coming across your backyard the magma fills up this small little swimming pool and then it continues on and buddy three doors down he's got a big backyard he's got an olympic size swimming pool so that's the bigger trap and then as these magmas are flowing over these uh basins these embayments 
the magma is going to get stuck. And so what happens, again, this, this gravity will start pulling all these large molecules now of sulfur that are attached to nickel and all the other calcophile elements. And as you settle down to the bottom, you just, all this sulfur just sort of jams up with one another and you have these massive sulfide ores. I'm not supposed to use that term, but I'm going to. Um, settled down at the bottom of this of this trap slash basin slash swimming pool and then as as things cool uh, you go up from the bottom through massive and into uh, what's typically called matrix style of mineralization or net textured and, and net textured just you know net textured is exactly a net uh, envision a large uh, fishing net you know of uh, uh, across a, a bay of a lake and and you just you have all these squares but it's everything is connected and it's in these squares it's so that's the net texture it is a is sort of rimming or if you think of the hole in the net as the um you know to throw out a term the you know the host peridotite but within that peridotite the mineralization is forming the exterior of your net and so net textured is just meaning that sulfides are aligned in a net like arrangement and hence the term net texture and then you, you, you come up a little bit further and then you know things are, as they cool out again everything heavy went to the bottom but then you're left with these sulfide nodules these uh, globules uh, interstitials type of uh, mineralization, disseminated type of mineralization. So if you're in the top and you put a drill hole through this interstitial and you happen to see one of these globules, you're going, hmm, that's kind of cool. Are we close to this? Are we close to this? And then if I can use our Bay Island trend as an example. So we were drilling in 2021. A long story behind that, but uh, maybe get to that. Um, and then we drilled a couple of holes with a very limited budget in the winter of uh, 2021. We went back there in 2022, and from the ice, we drilled hole number 40, and voila, we got into these sulfide globules, these these uh, uh, globular uh, sulfide nodules, and and then. On, on a, you know, so you zoom in on this and you can actually see that the calcopyrite will tend to be on one side of these nodules. And then we can actually see the or the pentlandite rimming around the, the pyrotite, which is inside the nodule. And so, and, you know, I, I saw this come out of the ground and, and uh, you know, Peter's a great friend and a fantastic geologist. And I, I sent this off to him and I said, hey, what do you think? And he went, hmm. You guys might be close to something. And then if we fast forward, drill hole number 52, we get into the neck textured style of mineralization. And, and this particular section here, three and a half meters of 1.3% nickel. And then in hole number, uh, this was 52, and I believe hole number 57. Uh, no, I'm sorry, this is um, a hole 51. So hole 51, it was a small section, but <clears throat> excuse me, this was massive sulfides and this returned a grade of 2.13% uh, nickel. So, you know, th this, this is just perfection in a way because this led us to this, led us to this, led us to this, and we now have 300 plus meters of this style of mineralization. Uh, at, at what we call the Bay Island Trend, which is you know roughly 500 meters west northwest of uh, the historic Rottenstone, so proof of concept. Uh, Rottenstone is not all by itself, and um, you know again if you just draw the comparison. So this particular grab sample here, I mean this is a great place to go prospecting because when they were blowing things up in the mid 60s, this fly rock was going everywhere. And you could probably make a bit of dough just collecting what they didn't put through the mill uh, back in the day. So any any rock that's purple, you hit it with the hammer, and this is what you see inside is this beautiful net texture. And this 
type of mineralization, you know, I sent off to Johannesburg to have an analysis of the other four PGEs that uh, I was talking about. And, and this, this particular style of mineralization was part of a metallurgical study that we did in 2017. But the head grade of the pulp of this type of mineralization, you know, here's the grades, 4% nickel, 1.38% copper, almost 0.1% uh, cobalt, 10.5 grams full suite of PGEs plus gold. You know, so really, really spectacular stuff. And there, there was some massive sulfide at the rotten stone deposit. You know, this particular sample here, you just the, the pentlandite eyes just jump right out at you. Uh, this returned an assay of uh, 8% nickel, 4% copper, uh, 9 grams platinum, palladium, gold. So, I mean, again, really absolutely amazing, amazing mineralization. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun finding more of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll attest to that. I am extremely excited for, for this campaign and the next few as well. And I think that this is, you know, we're kind of starting to get to the point where I wanted to make here in terms of, you know, the, the rocks tell the story too, right? And maybe we just kind of help with establishing that narrative. But, you know, as you spoke to, I mean, we've seen out of your core, we've seen globules and you've seen neck texture. And, and I think even the news release that you just released, uh, you know, a lot of the, of the semis, you know, that, that all of this means that, that you're chasing and pursuing and vectoring in on that those massive sulfides that is, you know, the, I guess that's the ultimate prize. And is that kind of a fair, fair summary of what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, as, as spectacular as the net textured style of mineralization is at uh, Rottenstone, um, you know, there should be massive sulfides lurking somewhere because of this, this whole model that we've been discussing. And and given that you know, net textured is so rich all by itself, um, you know, you wonder if you had, again, you know, if, if you can find the massive sulfide component of one of these pathways, one of these highways, one of these vents, one, one would anticipate that the grade would be pretty spectacular. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so maybe this is an opportunity that's slightly off script here, but you know, you, you, you're the, the use of the word tenor, which we had, and I greatly enjoyed it. Our last conversation, our last interview, you introduced that concept as well. But you know, when you talk about kind of the, the special rotten stone mineralization, just for clarity's sake here, the upcoming drill results coming from Grochager, which I mean, you know, when I, when I speak to you, it's a bit of a Sophie's choice in terms of if I, if I, you know, make you choose, you, you don't really want to, you, you kind of love them both equally, right? Your, your favorite, favorite children, but it, that rotten stone, just the, 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 the nature of the mineralization makes that it particularly rich, even compared to go or can you discuss maybe, you know, at this point, do you want to introduce the concept of tenor again and then just discuss the, that concept? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, I, I find that sometimes difficult to explain, but, uh, um, and, and, yeah, let's 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 have a go at it here. So, uh, metal tenor, um, you know, how much nickel do you have if you have one hundred percent sulfur? And and you know, you've got to differentiate between sulfur and sulfide because sulfide is a combination of uh, nickel, iron, copper. It, you know, it can be zinc, it can be all sorts of things, but 100% sulfur, you know, so this, this sulfur has come into the magma and it's being digested by the magma. So if you had 100% sulfur, what is the nickel grade going to be? Because you need, you, you know, to get the nickel, you need the sulfur. Um, so at Rottenstone, the, the nickel tenor is running sort of nine to 10%, which is absolutely spectacular. Now, comparison, Sudbury ores are running sort of two to three, uh, maybe at the very most 4% nickel in 100% sulfur. So, so right away, you know, Rottenstone is distinguishing itself as, as being very, very spectacular. Now, <laughs> you know, the trials and tribulations of a geologist, um, you know, we intersected this and I went, Eureka, we've done it. We have found another rotten stone. And I remember 
one of my colleagues, uh, you know, we were getting ready for a board meeting and, and he just said, well, you know, look at it. it it's, it's, it's got to have the exact same grade of, of, of rotten stone. And we didn't have the assays at that point. And I just said, you know, let, let's just hold our horses here. And sure enough, the assays came in and, you know, I mentioned earlier, three and a half meters of 1.3% nickel versus something that's running three to 4% nickel. Here, the nickel tenor is down to about two. So, you know, you've got the exact same rock type, uh, intrusions happening at the exact same time, but probably what happened here at the Bay Island trend, you just, there was too much sulfur introduced into that one particular pathway, that one particular avenue. And as a result, the efficiency, you know, there was just too much sulfur clamoring around for all these uh, calcophile elements. And, and as the end result is not as sweet as, as rotten stone. Now, you know, I, we'll, we'll get to go Chagger in a moment, but we're, you know, with the work that we do, um, and again, we've got to uh, thank Peter here, uh, metal tenor. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, um, it can be a very, very good vectoring tool. Um, so at Gochagger, we're recognizing we have nickel tenors there of three, three and a half, four, which is very comparable to uh, Sudbury and, and perhaps in, in some cases, a, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, so that that's, you know, that's a healthy tenor. But again, the Bay Island trend, you know, we're down one and a half to two. And so, you know, again, kind of, uh, you know, I told somebody it's like being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, you know, you get all riled up and then you get kicked in the teeth. So here we were, you know, thinking that we had uh, another rotten stone and yet the, the metal tenor uh, turned out to be uh, somewhat lower. But all that aside, Matthew, again, proof of concept. I can't emphasize that enough. This is a big, big, healthy system. The fact that you've got grades like Rottenstone tells me you can have these grades somewhere else. And, you know, I, I can't wait to get the drill bit down to uh, the Trombley Olsen area. And maybe we've got the, the mother chamber there, or maybe we have another very large. Bay Island trend-like thing because, you know, geophysically, it's got a dimension of 450 meters in stripe. You know, so that could be another pod or maybe it's a hint of the actual uh, uh, mother rotten stone. Uh, uh, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I'll, I'm going to ad-lib here a bit. And I think this is something that I, I try to articulate to you as well. But, uh, you know, when I, when I look at and why does Fathom strike me as such a compelling project? I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, your, your history that goes back to the 90s, I mean, you've been the primary consultant for three or four different companies over the past, you know, I think, was it 2015, I think, when Fathom took over, but uh, somewhere around there. But, uh, you know, you were primary consultant to a host of companies prior to that. Um, and that, So for me, this proof of concept that you reference, I, I don't know if I can name you another junior, and this is, of course, just, just my own kind of opinion and my own thoughts, but the high degree of understanding that you have developed. I mean, it's painstaking. I mean, you, you, like you referenced in a previous interview, rebuilding the Rotten Stone Mines EM signature and, and rebuilt so that you can use that moving forward to, to help target other targets. It, the, the, the knowledge and the data you've developed and acquired and collated into uh, a, a, a geological exploration model, the, the potential that remains here and then, of course, the market cap. I mean, that's just the unfortunate you know, vagaries of of, of, the, of the market itself. But the, these, this combination of data and potential, uh, I find to be very compelling, right? But rather than me just kind of rambling on, you mentioned the Bay Island trend a couple of times here. Why don't we just return to that, right? So you have this concept of ultramafic pathways. Do you just want to discuss with us Bay Island and trend? What is it? What and how was it discovered and its significance to, to your own exploration? Yeah, no, that that's um, yeah, that's 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 good. Let, let's let's do that. Um, yeah, so this this is um, a little bit of a summary. Then, okay, so um, this tiny little island that you see here, this is called the island showing. The Inco discovered uh, a little bit of. Uh, Poorly mineralized, but nonetheless mineralized ultramafic rock on the very north end of this uh, island. And um, uh, with one of the companies, I was in there, I think it was 2000. We stripped it back a little bit. 
I took a channel saw to it, confirmed that yes, it's definitely there. Yes, it's definitely ultramafic rock. And yes, it definitely had some mineralization. And then if we fast forward to uh, 2003, um, I was involved in a program. We drilled a hole. You see, I have 21 slash 39. So 39 is referencing this drill hole drilled in 2003. So it was out in the bay, drilled toward the island. And you can see, uh, you know, a bit of a long story here, but um, we did intersect some, some ultramafic rock. Uh, some of it was well mineralized. Uh, you know, visually I knew this, but uh, at the time that <laughs> this rock was not analyzed. Again, a long story. I'm not going to get into it. But fast <laughs> forward to 2015, 2016, uh, I assayed this uh, core for the very first time. And what attracted me here was, uh, you know, rein me in if I've gone off course here, Matthew, <laughs> but I think this is where we're uh, sort of, you know, methodology, I think, is... Uh, is where we're going with this. In in one of these columns, I have calculated what is the magnesium oxide content, and and so this this is whole uh, twenty zero three zero three nine. So it was drilled out here in the bay, and in twenty sixteen, as a private company, you know, trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, we drilled a couple of holes around the uh, periphery of the Rottenstone Pit, and this hole sixteen zero zero two intersected mineralization that previously was not known. Uh, nobody had ever drilled south of the historic Rottenstone pit. And again, if I can just sort of you know draw the attention to the values of MGO, you see we're running around 19 to 22% magnesium oxide. And when I look at the magnesium oxide in this historic drill hole 0339, we're seeing 19, 20, and 15. So that was, was some, you know, geochemically uh, uh, an indication that maybe we were getting close to something. So in, in 2021, we drilled a hole and it intersected ultramafic rock. And it was by far the most mineralized ultramafic rock that I'd ever seen on this property. Uh, the assays came back and, and again, lower metal tenor, but, you know, it was mineralized, but it wasn't, uh, we didn't see net textured. We didn't see massive sulfides. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was encouraging. So this is my little blurb on, on lithogeochemistry. Very, very powerful tool, I believe, geochemistry. Uh, we drilled hole 21. We're using borehole EM and the borehole EM, you can see here. Uh, the fact that it's crossed over this profile of the drill hole, that tells you there's something conductive inside the drill hole. And, and that's, that's true because we did see the sulfides in the ultramafic host. But it also is telling us there's something off hole. And in this case, we were drilling from the top of the image towards the bottom right-hand corner, and it was telling us there was something off hole right, which was more conductive. And then, you know, 2021, we were going through our IPO. We didn't get back out in the field until the uh, uh, the fall, and we didn't have the luxury of ice, so we couldn't go back in this area. But we drilled a hole, this being hole number 33, out on the island, and it was, you know, we, we had to respect the uh, uh, the distance that we were allowed to drill from the shoreline. We pointed the hole towards the, the island showing, towards drill holes 21 and 39. And I was telling you last night, Matthew, this was an absolute duster of a drill hole. I thought, oh, well, we didn't get much out of this. But then the borehole, you know, they followed up with the borehole EM and my buddy in Toronto who helps me out with the analysis of all this stuff. Uh, he was having a beer and he almost fell off his bar stool because he said, holy crap, and we've got this enormous off hole anomaly in drill hole AL2200, or no, sorry, 21033. And so this, this is what we're seeing here is the profile. And so the conductivity is building and building and building, and then it peaks, and then it decays as you go past the zone of conductivity. But what was really interesting about this is, again, this drill hole was just a, a sea of metapelites. There was absolutely nothing in there that would make you think there was anything lurking nearby. But the borehole EM said there was something very, very conductive above the drill hole. And, and this is 
you know, again, I'm not a geophysicist and I'm still struggling with how they interpret these things, but the takeaway is something conductive above the drill hole. And we did some more drilling based on this interpretation and that's how we found the mineralization in hole 52. So, you know, a bit of intuition, uh, lithogeochemistry, I've had the luxury of working with some fantastic geochemists and all sorts of projects through the years. And, and I'm a firm believer in geochemistry. And now, you know, Borehole EM, it's uh, nicknamed the mine finder, the giant metal detector. You know, <laughs> it's an absolute must in the uh, the nickel business. And it's been uh, a tremendous, tremendously, you know, very, very valuable tool, obviously. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about that too, because I think that is an absolutely critical, it's not new technology, but it's it's new to, Gauchager and Albert Lake, and, and as you kind of have referenced, I mean, it seems almost revolutionary in terms of helping you develop your understanding of what's going on. But maybe just, you know, you, you did, a, like you said, you did a good job of explaining the, the methodology of, of the Bee Island trend. But do you just want to discuss, you know, kind of meat and potatoes or more to the basics of, of you know, of, of, of discovery and, and, you know, trying to define these, these deposits? Do you want to keep going on the Bay Island, Island trend? Like, what is the significance to your project? I mean, I think you've got another couple other slides that you may be able to share with us. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, and and you know again, you know we uh, we've recognized that the um, uh, the Bay Island trend is uh, you know lower tenor, uh, you know thirteen and a half meters of point six percent nickel. I mean that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not thirteen and a half meters of four percent nickel. Um, this this trend is wide open. It continues to the north. We recognize it geophysically. We recognize it with respect to. Uh, gravity surveys, um, even some of our geologic interpretation, we know that this liniment is continuing off to the, uh, off to the northeast. Um, and we will, we will do some more drilling there at some point because we, we need to figure out, you know, if there is a, a massive sulfide component to this, where, where is that? And um, anyway, I, I could go on for hours about that, but let, let's, uh, you know, what we have learned at Bay Island Trend and I, I hope this is where you're going with your question, Matthew. Is uh, you know where is it where is it taken taken us? So mm. the Bay Island trend again. This is you know 500 meters west northwest of the historic Rotten Stone Mine. This is the area here that we refer to as the Trombley Olson claims. Again, I alluded to the uh, you know the fantastic nickel values in the soils and the platinum group elements that we're seeing in the soils. I mean, how many places do you get a gram of PGEs in soil? So there's got to be something going on here. So we, we've done our geophysics. We did our surface geophysics. We did drill a couple of drill holes in March, uh, which didn't explain the soil geochemistry. Right? You know, we, we did get into some anomalous sections, and we do have some positive borehole EM results, but it didn't really tell us you know, what we were hoping to find, but now we have done our surface geophysics. We have defined this conductor. Uh, it's, you know, 450 meters in strike. It has a width of 150 meters. It's coincident with a gravity anomaly. Um, I'm getting a little astray here, uh, but I'll back up to the soil geochemistry here in a second. Um, you know, so there's something 300 meters below surface that is very conductive and has a higher density than the surrounding country rocks. You know, so, so what could that be? Now, an ultramafic rock is going to have a specific gravity of about you know, 2.9 to 3. And then if you pack it full of metal, that specific gravity is going to come up to about, let's, let's call it 3.3. And, and these, you know, these are sort of rough numbers here, and I might have skewed them ever so slightly just to, to make the point. Um, so an ultramafic rock, if it's full of metal, is going to have higher density than a metapelite that's going to have a specific gravity of, let's call it 2.7 for the sake of argument. Now, this dense rock is very conductive. And, and it's a lot more conductive than the conductivity that we've associated with the Bay Island trend. So what down there is conductive, that is dense, that's sitting on the eastern flank of an absolutely spectacular 
soil geochem anomaly that, you know, it's not only nickel, it's, you know, I could show you a plot of platinum all by itself. I could show you a plot of palladium, gold, cobalt. And then importantly, you know, we were talking about magnesium oxide earlier. You know, I could show you the, the magnesium, magnesium oxide, you've got to do a calculation to make it MGO, but chrome, another pathfinder, it all stacks up like it does with nickel. And, and getting back to the Bay Island trend, you know, you'll notice that there is a nickel soil geochemistry anomaly. This was defined in 2018, our drilling post 2018 in the area of this soil geochem anomaly led to 300 plus meters of continuous nickel mineralization. This is a far superior <laughs> anomaly. I'm getting promotional now. <laughs> um, this is a far superior conductor and it has a coincident gravity anomaly. And, and this white dashed line, if I can just jump ahead to the next slide. Um, here, let me do this. Can't I? Hmm. It seems to have frozen up on me here. Anyway, the, the, uh, the white dashed line is defining a lithological contact between granitic rocks and the supercrustal rocks, these, these metasedimentary rocks. And that is a perfect place for a structural trap because you've got something that's very, very resistive in, in the granitoids and the, the supercrustals, they, you know, you can stretch them, you can break them easier. And so when you have all these magmas flowing around, they're going to sill out in these uh, 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 metasedimentary rocks as opposed to the granites because they're just more susceptible to it. They're, they're more porous by nature. They break easier. They bend easier. So, you know, we, we, we just feel this is a, a very, very compelling target and, and we're very much looking forward to checking it out here in, in 2024. Yeah, the upcoming drill campaign, at first, it can be potentially very transformative. So, I mean, this, I think that's a good segue, a good transition here. I mean, borehole electromagnetics, bore, B, BM, uh, borehole EM, I mean, obviously we kind of reference this a couple of times now and, and, and you reference how it, it, it's just, it, it highlights so nicely these targets for you. Do you want to, I mean, I, I think we, you've, you, I think you already articulated nicely, you know, what it's doing, but it, do you just want to emphasize once more, I mean, what the effectiveness and the confidence level that it provides for you when you, when you stick it down hole? Um, yeah, let, let's let's go to uh, Go Chagger Lake now. Um, a couple couple of things that we need to uh, talk about there. There. Okay. So this, you can see that. Okay, Matthew. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So th th this is the image that came out in our press release this week, and and it you know, it's a it's it's a busy section. So what we've done here is I've we've compressed all the drill holes that we have drilled in 2003, with the exception of hole number four, and with the exception of hole number 11, it's been compressed onto a sing single section. So we're looking at it uh, kind of from uh, uh, from west to east, and it's probably more off to the northeast. But anyway, so what we're, you know, a, a few takeaways here, but let's, let's stay focused with the, with the borehole EM. And so when we, you know, th this mineralization that we encountered in 23003, you know, 58 meters of one and a half percent semi-massive sulfides that was running, you know, one and a half percent nickel. The borehole EM in that zone of metal is very, very conductive. You know, you 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 lay the loop out on surface, you send the charge down, it goes on, it goes off, and you know, once it's on, the, the metal will absorb that charge and then it creates its own secondary electromagnetic field. And then when you turn it off, you can, you know, how long does that decay? And, you know, if you use the bell analogy, you hit the bell and it goes ding, you know, the, the longer it resonates, the bigger the hit. Mm -hmm. um, so the stronger the conductivity, it, you know, if it's still being detected in the very, very late channels, that's a very good conductor. So it goes without saying that mineralization was a, a very, very good conductor, but you can't see very far beyond the drill hole when you're inside all this mineralization. But 
18002, which it was drilled in 2018, so it's not showing up on this particular image. But it was a hole that was drilled from the right-hand side of this image towards the left-hand side. And it detected a zone of conductivity. And this is our area that we call conductor B for this, this uh, image here. So it detected a zone of conductivity that was off-hole left and very strong. You know, the conductance in this thing is running like 12,000 um, Siemens, which is very, very conductive. And our hole number nine, assays are pending, uh, but we are illustrating that we've intersected some disseminated uh, style of mineralization. We do have isolated zones of semi-massive mineralization. So this conductor, we've intersected with hole number nine, and we have uh, you know, the results are suggesting that that conductivity is a result of these uh, localized semi-massive massive sulfides. And, and you know, I mentioned 12,000 uh, Siemens. I, I'm, you know, I'm starting to wonder, okay, well, that's pretty high. And, you know, I've read press releases, you know, we were talking about Australian-based companies, and they've got 20 meters of massive sulfide, and they're getting a conductance of 12,000. So, you know, is there something else? lurking out there that we haven't got to yet mm -hmm. and um you know interesting enough these arrows are telling us that the borehole em is telling us that conductance is building with depth and you know so if you can imagine a profile along the side of the drill hole trace it's building and then it stops because the drill hole stopped so there's something beyond the end of our drill holes that's very, very conductive, and we just didn't drill far enough. In fact, uh, you know, the geophysicist made the comment to uh, one of our uh, helpers out there is, you know, why'd you stop? And I said, well, you know, first place, we didn't know what was down there. Uh, we're in the process of uh, exploring. Um, but here, you know, uh, the, the, the significance of the borehole EM, there's something very conductive at depth at the Gochagger Lake deposit. So that's something that we've got to get to. And, uh, you know, the simplest thing to do first is tack on another 150 to 200 meters in about three of the four of the drill holes that we've already drilled. And that'll give us a good look down there again with the borehole EM and, and try and get a better understanding of where this conductive Activity, this conductance is located, and then we can come at it again with uh, with the drill bit with a with a brand new hole if we don't hit something uh, with the with the extensions in the first place. And so, you know, if, if I can, uh, let me see now. Where do I want to go here? Um, I think I'm going to go up. Um, you know, we're talking about massive sulfides. And yeah, so if I can, uh, you know, this particular image here. So our drill hole 23008 intersected a massive sulfide vein. You know, so we, we've been talking about disseminated, we've been talking about globular, we've been talking about um, uh, uh, net textured. In, in some of the images that we've put out with our press releases, we're, we're in this what we're calling semi-massive sulfide. It, it's kind of a, a term that's commonly used as a soft breccia. So the host rock is all caught up within the actual sulfide itself. But what's unique about 23008 is it's massive sulfide. You, you don't see any inclusions of the host rock here. And you can see that there's a very, very sharp contact between the host gabbro and this massive sulfide so let's let's just think you know something created a crack in the gabbro and then there was you know i was <laughs> yesterday we were talking you know just imagine a tube of toothpaste and you put a bit of pressure to that toothpaste well the toothpaste is going to come out and if you're you know next to a crack you know it's just like uh, puttying around your house it, you're going to fill that void so this is exactly what this massive sulfide has done. It has filled this crack. 
And then here again, you know, <laughs> this uh, particular image was forwarded off to our good colleague, uh, Dr. Peter Lightfoot, and he immediately responded with uh, an image from a paper that he and uh, Dr. Tony Naldrick worked on, Voises Bay. And, you know, to quote what he says in his paper, you know, near the Reed Brook zone, Boise's Bay, Labrador, you see these massive sulfide veins that can be anywhere from 10 centimeters to 550 centimeters as far as 50, uh, yeah, up to 50 meters away in the country rock, which is the Tassiac gneiss. So, you know, here you've got these massive sulfide veins wandering out into cracks in the country rock and they're not very far away from what we know is a world-class nickel deposit. So this, you know, I, I, I said to my colleague, Doug, I said, you know, <laughs> sorry, Doug, I, you know, I'm the geo here, but, you know, if we were to get completely dusted with all our assays, but having seen this, this has got me sufficiently encouraged that, uh, yeah, we got to go at this thing hard because there's a, there's a big prize down there. I, I really do believe that. Yeah, and that's it's so exciting because I think in a variety of ways you're just showing us all the different pieces of evidence that you're compiling to suggest that you are you're vectoring in on on yeah mother rottenstone or, or some very large deeper down uh, anomaly that that could be uh, potentially huge right and and I mean all this different evidence I mean the, the, this vein. 50 meters, that's, that is not far away, right? And I mean, that's that's, a, man, that's just a drill campaign away from potentially having a chance to intersect that thing. Um, I, I guess maybe this is, I have a question, just so I understand, you know, airborne magnetics, and obviously I know that this is borehole, downhole, not in the air, so to speak, but I mean, there are limitations to airborne about how deep you can see into the earth, if I'm not mistaken. Are there limitations with, with, with BHEM in the same way? I mean, are, are there limitations to what it can do and, and, and where? I think you referenced earlier that, that if you're actually in mineralization, that can kind of corrupt your corrupt its ability to, to, to quote-unquote, see. But uh, what are the limitations kind of with, with, with borehole EM? Uh, that's that's a really good question. And, and um, you know, I, I've had to stop people that suggest you can see 200 meters beyond the borehole with BM, but borehole EM, but you know, it, um, it, it's, it's variable uh, because, you know, the stronger the conductor, the further away you can detect it, you know, so if your drill holes here and then you have a, you know, just using this massive sulfide, you know, if you've got a pool of massive sulfides, that's 50 meters away, or let's just, maybe pushing the envelope a little bit here, 100 meters away, provided there isn't anything else in the background that might be providing conductivity, you're probably going to see that because it's so massive and it's so hmm. conductive. Um, you know, I, I referenced the, uh, uh, the off-hole anomaly in 18002. That drill hole that intersected that off-hole conductivity you know, that is probably, well, 35 meters away from 18002. I, you know, I, I, I'll have to, you know, I'm going to say 35, but I'm going to call that a soft number. I, I, I should go into my uh, uh, leapfrog model and just measure that because that, that's, you know, one way of answering your question is, is how far away from the drill hole was that off-hole conductor and was that intersection point. So that, you know, I, I, I'm going to say 30, 35 meters, and I think that's that's a pretty comfortable number. Um, so I, again, it, 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 you know, it's sort of variable. Um, you know, if there isn't any background noise, if there isn't any graphite lurking around, if there isn't any, um, you know, the catch-22 in this business is, you know, you need the sulfur. And sulfitic iron formations, which could be just pure pyrotite, are an absolutely fantastic conductor. In fact, pyrotite is the number one conductor followed by calcopyrite. But if it's all pyrotite and no nickel, that's really not much interest to us. And mm -hmm. you know that will suck up all the charge that you put down into the ground, and it will draw your attention to that. But it's you know potentially the red herring if there isn't any nickel associated with it so you know in, in in super conditions without any of the background yeah you know i i'm going to say 50 meters um matt if you know if i was to and, I, and i'm using 50 because my good geophysical buddy that yeah you know he says 
let's sort of keep it in the 30 to 50 meter range. That's something that he's comfortable with. Yeah, and that's good to know, right? So it's not a matter of just, uh, the ultimate kind of smoking gun or a golden gun, but that it requires to you have to get close for it to 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 do its work or to work its magic for you. We are, you know, you've got yourself a, a lunch and you have to get to, so you got you know about, about five minutes here. So I'm going to just skip a couple of questions here, but and I'll, I'll I might fire these off to you as we referenced previously. I'll ask Ian to do a conduct just a written Q and A with me, but let's just discuss. I mean, future targets, right? So I mean, you have a couple thousand meters that we're assays are outstanding. You know, I think for me, a very eagerly anticipated winter campaign that I hope that, you know, we can get lots of meters into the ground and really start to really see how this thing can fly. But I think I want to give a shout out to make a copy here on, on CEO because I think he really quickly identified uh, there, there is a target that, that you and I were chatting about last night that, that you know, his armchair geo, a thousand meters south of the old Rottenstone mine uh, is something that he is particularly excited about. And then you kind of confirmed that yourself last night, right? Do you just want to maybe just discuss that as a target in terms of its potential and what, what it might be? Yeah, well, that that was, uh, you know, this this area in the Tromley Olson claims. Um, so this, this image here and the blue polygon that you see on the image on the right-hand side, that is the target. That 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 is the... So, so we we've talked about that. Uh, you know, this this is an absolutely fantastic target. Um, you know, geology, geophysics, geochemistry. Uh, you know, even some of the tilt pits that were done by the GSC in 1987, and some of the biogeochemistry that's been done in this area. There's there's a lot of things that are pointing to this particular target. Uh, so that is very, very high on uh, the 2024 wish list. And we will get out there. Uh, we will be out there uh, drilling holes in, in the winter of 2024. And I just, you know, one, one further note, uh, there's another area that, um, um, yeah, I'm sorry, in the middle image, you can see there's a, a label here that we call the dime. And the dime, um, oh, shoot, I'm going to call it number 2229, a drill hole drilled in, in 2022. We got into 13 meters of stratigraphy that is analogous to the stratigraphy that we see at the Rottenstone mine. And, th and this is, you know, this is 4,000 plus meters south of historic Rottenstone. So in here we have ultramafic rock, and in here we have the pegmatite dikes. And we see all these things at the Bay Island trend, and we see all these things at, at Rottenstone itself. And what was interesting here, Matt, was there was a, uh, a weekly mineralized ultramafic intercept that we sent off to the lab, and it came back at half a percent nickel with maybe one to three percent visible sulfide. So it, that tenor argument so if you only have one to three percent visible sulfides, and yet somehow you're getting half a percent nickel, and that's not inherent nickel. That's not that's not silica-based magma nickel. That is interacted with sulfur. So that potentially has a tremendous nickel tenor associated with it. And and that is uh that again, that's another high priority exploration target. Uh, we've drilled a couple of holes down there. We were kind of relying on airborne geophysics to get us aligned, and we realize now that, no, no, we've got to go down there. We've got to cut a grid. Uh, the geochemistry down in that area is eh, somewhat muted, but yet we've got this intersection at a depth of about 130 meters down uh, that needs follow-up. And so, you know, here I think is is an area where we go in with the ground geophysics uh, we extend our gravity surveys down there. You know, can we, we do know there's sulfitic iron formation lurking, so that's a bit of a problem. Uh, but what can we do to differentiate the red herring from, you know, the, the, the bad sulfur, if you will, from the from the good sulfur? So we'll, we'll try and figure that out geophysically, and, and that too is a tremendous target. And then, that, you know, the Gochagar Lake, uh, you know, just to wrap things up here, you know, th this is a historic deposit. There, there's no denying that. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the historic database is, is lost. Uh, what's available in the uh, Saskatchewan assessment files, we have all of that. We know there's a halo of disseminated mineralization. Uh, 
Our drilling to date has been very, very focused in this one particular area. We have defined a chute within this disseminated halo uh, that has some fantastic nickel grades, as obviously uh, evidenced by uh, 23003. But we think there's going to be more of these chutes within this disseminated envelope. We have opened up the Gochagar Lake deposit to depth. Uh, I think we can say we've opened it up along strike just based on surface uh, geophysics. We're going to be doing more of that. So how many of these high-grade shoots are in this disseminated envelope? And is there, you know, like at Boise's Bay, is there a neck? Is there a vent of massive sulfide a little bit further down and you know borehole em is pointing at something very very conductive at depth we have that beautiful massive sulfide vein um you know so if we were to intersect the massive sulfides very quickly in 2024 <laughs> i think we would be focused on drilling that as opposed to uh looking for additional shoots within this um you know we we, we don't know how big this intrusive is so that's the other sort of fun thing is it, we just, we, we've been, you know, we, we've done a lot. And I think we've done uh, a lot of very, very good exploration in, in 2023, but it's been isolated because we're, we're you know, it's kind of our, our classroom, so to speak. We were, we're, we're learning. And now we can apply that knowledge to a much bigger picture. And we really look forward to, uh, uh, to doing that. Well, I think that's ultimately a great place to stop here. I mean, I think that, you know, you've spent 10 plus years setting the table, studiously building knowledge and data and, and layering it and creating these targets. And now it seems like that, that you're on the, the precipice of the cusp of, of all of that starting to pay off, right? And it's hard to believe in, you know, 58 meters of one and a half percent from, from last spring. I mean, the, if that's the part, the party hasn't even started yet, if I, you know, if I can be my own promoter here too, right? But I mean, I think that very exciting future here, right? That this, even this current campaign, very excited to see the results of, but even then, I still think that, you know, first pass at Gochager, uh, that, that you're, that we are on the, I, I'm very excited for the future of, of Fathom. I think that you're, the, 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 the next camp, drill campaigns could be uh, awfully revolutionary in terms of what we see of the coming out of the ground. But I will stop there. You've got yourself a luncheon to get to, and, and I, I wish you good luck and thank you for your time, Ian. And I guess we'll probably have to just, we'll call a part two with the written Q&A, and I might have to, I'll be bugging you again in a week or two for that. But thank you for your time, Ian. Well, thank you, Matthew. Always a lot of fun. And um, yeah, no, just uh, enjoy the opportunity immensely. Thank you very yeah, much. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for teaching us so much. Take care. Cheers.